Life is filled with challenges. From small to large, each day we are presented with a variety of choices. Will we trust God? Will we put our faith in Him? Or will we just simply get by, pushing ourselves to be better and stressing ourselves to try harder? The Bible challenges us to lay hold of the promises God has made to His children. Hebrews 11 paints a wonderful picture of men and women who triumphed by faith. They were ordinary people who believed God and pursued His promises, even though many didn't see them come to pass in their lifetime. Please join us each week as the writer of Hebrews teaches us to navigate this life by clinging to the promises of God while anticipating the return of Christ. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. Hebrews eleven thirteen. These all died. Now, who are these? These are, let's go back to verse 4, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, and Sarah. He said these died. And he tells us exactly how they died. It says that they died in faith. Now, in faith means right relationship with God. In faith means that they had done the thing that pleased God. They had put their hope and their trust in Him. All of their hope was in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's this writer of Hebrews is on a roll. Man, he said, here's Abel, here's Enoch, here's Noah, here's Abraham, and then here's Sarah. And then all of a sudden, he just puts the brakes on. He quits telling us about these that are in the faith, and he begins to talk. So now you've got to say it's a parenthesis. And parentheses either grab our attention, or we go, oh, that's parenthetical, let me just jump over it. Well, let me tell you this morning, don't jump over the parentheses. Because inside those parentheses are some nuggets of hope that are available for us today. So let's keep reading. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims, On the earth. So these who died in faith. Died without ever having seen the promise. But they were assured of them. They embraced them and they confessed that they were strangers. So here we've got these people who've been living. Who didn't get to see what they were living for. But they were assured of what they were living for was going to happen. So much so that they embraced them. It changed how they lived life. They were living differently because of a promise. Now what was the promise? That God was with them. God had redeemed them. 
that God had gone and was preparing a city for them to live in one day. And this stranger, this alien, this pilgrim, this feeling of not belonging, one day was going to be replaced with a holy intimacy of no longer feeling awkward, no longer bound by sin, No longer gripped by despair. But there was going to be a place that you could go and you could sit down. You know that spot in your house that you go to on a cold day and your house is a little bit cold and you put that cover up around you and you just hang out there and it feels good? And you think, man, i got to get up and go face the world. Well, they said there's a day coming that it's all going to feel like that spot in that moment forever. And we're going to hang out with other believers. And we're going to get that moment. We're no longer going to have to contend because the contending has already taken place. The victory is won. Every knee has bowed and every tongue has confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And we're just going to be there enjoying. So he says, they were assured they were strangers and pilgrims on this earth. For those say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. There's some things there that are symbolic, okay? So stay with me. But now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Now, let me ask you. Have you ever felt like there were moments in your life that God was going to be ashamed to call you His God? Your God? That He wanted to be your God? Yeah, man, I have those moments. But God declares boldly, while we, we had it in the memory verse, right? But while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, that is a moment in time, yes, that we were a sinner. We were separated from God the Father by sin. But God knew us well enough to know we were human. He knew that not only at that moment did we need to be redeemed from sin, But we would continue to live as humans in that we would sin. And he looked and said, I died for you here, but I'm dying for you out there. I'm going to prepare a city for you. And if I go and prepare it for you, I'll come back and get you. And I'm never going to be ashamed to be called your God. That's amazing. I think there's some moments that my mom has been ashamed to be called my mom. Now, she loved me, but she was like, that ain't my son. In fact, I've heard her say that. But God says, never that moment. So here we have, in this parenthetical moment, these all died. And I think what he's trying to do here is remind us of why he's writing. And if he's reminding us of why he's writing, then we've got to go back to why he wrote it. So let's go back to chapter 10. And if we go to chapter 10... Then we can go to verse 32 because he's talking here to the people, these Hebrew people. He says, but recall the former days in which after you were illuminated. Now, what were they illuminated to? That it was not the law. It was grace. It was not works. But it was the finished work on the cross that Jesus did when he died, was buried, and rose again. He says, after you were illuminated to what it, you endured a great struggle with suffering. In other words, I would love to tell you 
that you looked and said, Jesus Messiah, Jesus is the way, you trust Him, and life is going to be rosy. He said, it's not, because that's coming, that's out there, there's a city. But right now, you're enduring the struggle. It may be physical, it may be mental, it may be emotional, it may be spiritual, it may be financial, it may be relational, it may be under protest, or it may be that you're being made fun of or persecuted. He says, but you endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle. Now look, these people, they remain faithful in hardship. And keep reading, it says, by both, both by reproach and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me and my change. Which, by the way, nobody really knows who wrote the book of Hebrews. But this is one of the places that they go to to rethink that Paul wrote it. Because Paul often speaks of in my chains. So this is very Pauline in its wording here. He says that passion on me and my chains, compassion on me and my chains, and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. There's the city. So, and looking back, this writer, who's reminding the people why he wrote it, maybe even reminding himself why he wrote it, he says, remember, you remained faithful in hardship, you endured public ridicule, you were persecuted, you stood by each other, you did not abandon me, when I was imprisoned, and you accepted it with joy. Now, that's kind of the kicker there, right? They accepted all of that with joy. They're not looking and saying, well, I'm going to hold on. I'm going to endure. Surely it'll get better one day. No, they said, in the middle of this, in the middle of what I'm going through, the joy of the Lord is my strength. That's what they said. Jesus is my joy, and no matter what I'm in, I can trust Him Because I'm looking forward to a promise that will exceed the persecution that I'm facing right now. Ladies and gentlemen, we can have joy in the knowledge of Christ and what He did for us. They did it because they knew they had something better that would last forever. The CEV version says, because you knew you had it better and that it would last. That's a great description of heaven. It's better. It lasts forever. And those who have gone before us are now realizing the promise that we're striving and enduring and hoping for. And they're saying and they're crying out, it's good. Hold on. Trust Him. It's good. Jim Elliott said it this way. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So much of the time, we are striving for the position. So much of the time, we are striving for the recognition So much of the time, we're being taught that go find yourself. Can I tell you, the Bible never says go find yourself. Never does. The Bible always says go find Jesus. And when you find Jesus, you will find what He has for your life.
In fact, it says, Matthew 6, 33, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then all these things are added unto you. Seek Jesus. Seek His way. Seek His life. You want me to make another point that we are strangers and aliens and pilgrims in a foreign land? Because he says, you are my ambassadors. An ambassador represents another to a foreign government. This is not my home. My home, my eternal home, is heaven. And that's where we're headed. He has it on his mind. That's why he interrupts this list. It's what he's doing here. He's asking, Abel. Why would you offer a better sacrifice than your brother Cain and get wind up being killed for it? And Abel would say, because this isn't my home. My eyes are on heaven, and I don't know what these people are going to do to me, but I will follow the Lord. Enoch, why would you walk with God and disappear? My eyes are on heaven. Noah, why would you build an ark when everyone except your family thought you were crazy? Because my eyes are on heaven. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, why would you live in tents when you could go back to the city of Ur? Because I'm looking for a city whose foundation is God. Abraham, Sarah, why would you want to have a baby at a hundred years old and 90 years old because my eyes are on heaven. This morning, where are your eyes? What are you focusing on? What has your attention? What has your grip? You see, this really is a worship service because everybody in this room is worshiping something. So really, the question is not is it a worship service, The question is, what's the object of your worship? For these people, these who all died in faith, not having yet gained it, their worship was on God, on a promise of a Messiah, on a hope of redemption that was coming. So how do we understand this verse? What is the writer? Why did he put the parentheses? I think the first thing that we understand is for us as believers, we live by a different standard. Go back with me to verse 13. These all died in faith. That's a different standard. Not having received the promise, but having seen them from afar off, were assured of them. And embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. It's like the group of sailors on the ship. Who have been out at sea for a long time. And on their voyage they pass by some beautiful land. They see it. They have been longing and they see this and they go traveling by it and they look over there and say that's beautiful but it's not mine so they wave and they keep on going 
we live by a standard that's different. We're aliens and strangers on earth. I'm not from here. We're from somewhere else. A realm that is not visible. A place that is not touchable. But we have the assurance of those who have gone before us. That it is there. And that we can have it. This morning there is hope for you in Christ. There is a place for you called heaven. And Jesus says to fix your eyes on it. Don't waver. But you see we don't just live by a different standard. And we're not just strangers and aliens here. But we die with a different hope. John Wesley, the founder of the modern-day Methodist movement, said, Our people die well. Dying well is somewhat of a lost art. You see, because as long as you have breath, you have life. And as long as you have life as a believer, you have a purpose here on earth. And we need to live till that last moment so that those who are left behind will say, I'm going to strive, I'm going to follow, I'm going to endure, I'm going to be like Jesus, I'm going to follow Him, I'm going to trust Him. My father died well. My father died with his eyes on a purpose of Christ. Watching my father die encouraged me to stay in the race. Not to grow Weary. The Puritans saw things differently. They preached a great deal to their people about how to die well and full of faith and hope and joy in the Lord. A lady named Peggy Noonan wrote an essay. And it said, after considering the many advancements of the last 500 years, she concludes that while life in every way is much easier nowadays, we are not happier people. We're cleaner people. We're more attractive people. But we're sadder than we used to be. Because we're being told that it's about happiness right now. The scripture says we endure to receive the reward. Happiness is overrated. Our ancestors believed in two worlds and they were homesick. They were homesick for two worlds. Yeah. I think that, uh, that you know, I sang that song, Homesick. Mm-hmm. I've sung it at every grandparent's funeral. But I wasn't sure until a week before my grandfather died if we were going to sing that song just to encourage myself mm-hmm. or to send him off. So he went home. Mm. He went home. And he has a place. And he has a place. What is that song? Sing it. Homesick. You want to sing it? I want to yeah. sing it. I am. <laughs> Wrote a song about it. Want to hear it? Here it goes. Here it goes. Maybe, <laughs> and maybe if they know it, they could sing along. Yeah. I think that'd be awesome. Do you know it? I'm kind of homesick. Let's go. Yeah. There's a light in the window, a table spread with splendor, someone standing at an open door. I can see the crystal river, I must be near forever, 
never been this homesick before. See the bright light shine. It's just about home time. And I can see my father standing at the door. This world's been a wilderness. And I'm ready for deliverance. Oh, I've never been this homesick before. Well, I can see the family gathering. Sweet faces all familiar. No one's old or feeble anymore. My lonesome heart is crying. I'm going to spread my wings for flying. Because I've never been this homesick before. See the bright light shine. It's just about home time. And I can see my father standing at the door. This world's been a wilderness. And I'm ready for deliverance. No, I've never been this homesick before. See the bright lights. Come on now. It's heaven. Just about home time. And I can see my father standing at the door. This world's been a wilderness. And I'm ready for deliverance. Oh, I've never been this homesick before. No, I've never been this homesick before. No, I've never been this homesick before. before. (laughs) You see, these people understood this is not home. And they were longing for something. And that thing that they were longing for. The scripture in fact it says I see the crystal river. That comes out of Revelation 22.2. It says in the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life. Which bore twelve fruits. Each tree yielding its fruit every month. That's what we're longing for. Ladies and gentlemen. If you throw your anchor here. You're going to be disappointed. But if you will pull up that anchor and you will continue towards the city whose author and builder and completer of it is God, you will not be disappointed. It's why you can sing at a grandfather's funeral. It's why you can preach a father's funeral. It's why you can stand there because your eyes are not on what you lost, but on what they gained, and you know you're going to go be with them. It's why you can endure the hurt of this life and the difficulties of this life, knowing that the God who gave it all, He left heaven 
to come to earth to, for you. He did it so that He could deliver you safely. It's why you can endure those moments. It's why you can be like these people who the Scripture says they never saw it, but they embraced it. And they could with joy go through persecution. For those who know Jesus, death is going home, our real home, our eternal home, to the place where when we get there we will say, this is where I belong. So he puts the parentheses there to remind us of what others have gone through. He puts the parentheses there to tell us we live by a different standard. He puts the parentheses there to say that we can die with hope. And he puts the parentheses there to tell us we look for a different reward. Twice, I've already mentioned it, but twice he talks to us about a city. In verse 10, it says that Abraham, by faith, dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he wanted for the city, he waited for the city, which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. I think many times when I read this, I picture Abraham walking to a city like Ur. But Abraham wasn't walking to the new brand of Ur. Abraham was walking to heaven. He was walking to the city that would not ever flounder, that would never fail, would never falter. He said, I will endure what I have to endure. I will live in a tent. I will do what I must do because I am marching to Zion. And in Zion, the maker is God. And listen to me, that just puts a whole different perspective on my struggles because now my struggles are an opportunity for me to reflect Christ. My struggles are an opportunity for me to help one more person stay in the game. Lord, I don't know why I'm in this moment. I don't know why the land is dry. I don't know why it's the valley. I don't know why there's a struggle. I don't know why I'm going through it. But Lord Jesus, you have told me that all things that come to me as a child of God pass through your hands. May not be for feeling good, but it's for my good. And God, you have told me I am your ambassador. So whether you've got me in the Bahamas on an island under a coconut tree, or whether you've got me in the middle of a desert where there is no water, then I want to be the best ambassador I can, and I want to speak well of my king. Because if I, as the ambassador, go to the place and I'm just like, I'm glad we're here together, but my king stinks. I just wouldn't follow my king. Because he's going to leave you here, he's going to forsake you, he's going to forget you. No, but if I go to that place and I'm in the middle of that place and I say, I have hope in God because he is faithful and for the generations he has never forsaken one of us, we can trust him. And we're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses that tell us this. We're working for a different reward. Verse 16 
is the second time we see this city. When we go down there, it says, But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed. That country and city are synonymous. And we won't be lonely anymore. And there will be a reunion. There will be a reunion with the saints who have gone before us. And there will be the opportunity to be in the presence of the Messiah. He put the parentheses so we could look back and remember. He put the parentheses to remind us that we live by a different standard. He put the parentheses to tell us that we die with hope. He put the parentheses there to tell us we look for a different reward. You know, when you start out on your Christian life, you realize that you have a long way to go. But you think to yourself, I've got a lifetime to grow. And even though we realize that we won't ever reach perfection in this life, you assume that over the years you will grow much closer to God. And while you struggle with your sins, your habits, your negative tendencies, you think, someday I'm going to be a better person. After all, when someone points out a weakness to us, what do we usually say? I'm working on that. Be patient with me. I'm working on that. That means give me time and I'll get better. But what if you don't have long enough or live long enough to get better? What's your hope in? Is your hope in you getting better or is your hope in Christ? Romans 5.8, while we were still sinners, Christ died. In that moment, He died for me to redeem me. But in that moment, He died to sanctify me for the rest of the days of my life. And whether I get better or not, He is still God and He has still redeemed me. And I have a heavenly city and it is Him and it is secure and it is for always. Paul said, that doesn't mean I throw up my hands and continue to sin. He said, but in the middle of living this life, Jesus is enough for me. He takes us. He delivers us. I've heard the story of many people who thought they were in the middle of the second quarter and they looked up at the clock and they were in the fourth quarter with only five seconds left. And the opportunities to get better were gone. So what Scripture teaches us, it's not about getting better. It's not about waking up today and, and being somehow self-holy or self-sanctified. It's about growing, waking up this morning and growing more in surrender and saying, Jesus, right now in this moment, it's my life. I give it to you. In this moment, I struggle with, but I surrender it to you. Don't focus on the behavior. Focus on the Messiah. Recognizing that the reward is heaven. He is not ashamed to be called your God. He doesn't judge us by who we are. But by what we will be someday.
because of him. So this morning, as we enjoyed the parentheses, are you willing to live in this life, in this moment, as the ambassador in a foreign land, taking your orders from your king, from your commander? He says, I won't disappoint you. I will safely deliver you. And while you are still a sinner, I died for you. Thank you for listening to today's message. To learn more, to listen to messages and teaching from Pastor Chris, to contribute through online giving, please visit our website at mzbc.org. Thank you for supporting Mount Zion, where you are welcome, wanted, and needed.